Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Scotland, 1900, far offshore of the Outer Hebrides. Out here is a cold and foreboding landscape. Spits of black rock jut out of the North Sea. In the bleak winter storms, bitter winds tear through the heartiest of sailors. But it's out here that a handful of men make their living, such as you can call it. These men perform one of the most important jobs in the British Empire. One that's kept the coffers filled and the maritime industry that is its lifeblood flowing for centuries, millennia when it comes to the rest of the world. I am, of course, talking about the lighthouse keeper. Lighthouse keeping was a profession that, by its very nature, attracted a peculiar sort. There are many tales of them being dark and sinister figures. Many of those tales are true and many of them are simply exaggeration. Most of them, however, were simple people aiming to make a living and who didn't mind the isolation. And isolation indeed. Most of the time they'd be sent in pairs or small groups so that if any one of them were to suffer some unfortunate accident, the light wouldn't go out. If it did, it'd mean that many more might meet a terrible fate, dashed to pieces on rocks and reefs. So here, out in the salt and spray of the Scottish seas, is where we lay our scene. It's December and this particular lighthouse in question was lit only a year earlier, in December of 1899. It's situated in the Flannan Isles, on the largest of them, Island Moor, literally meaning Big Isle. There's not much on the island beside the lighthouse. A rail track to facilitate some speedy resupplying, a ruined chapel, such as it ever was. Despite having some obscure and unusual pilgrimages in the days long gone, strange rites of Celtic Christianity, these islands are uninhabited, save for the lighthouse keepers. They're important for that purpose, as this section off the northwest coast of Scotland marks the way for ships to leave Scotland and head for Arctic climes. There's three keepers in the lighthouse. James Duckett, Thomas Marshall, and Donald MacArthur. 
there is supposed to be a fourth man, Joseph Moore, but he's a relief keeper, kept in rotation on the shore at the moment. He's to substitute any of the other keepers if needed. For now, we have these three men. Duckett was the principal lighthouse keeper. Marshall was the second assistant. MacArthur wasn't actually supposed to be there. He himself was substituting for another keeper on sick leave, one William Ross, and so he's the first assistant. The winds are strong, the spray higher than it usually is. What these men might have been wondering on those dark December days, we'll never know. Maybe they felt a strange tension in the air. Maybe they were just getting on with their jobs. Regardless, on the 15th of December, something is amiss. The steamship Archter is heading into Leith from Philadelphia and notices that the lighthouse's light is out. This is especially strange since the weather is worse than usual and in the North Sea at this time of year, that's saying something. But they've got a schedule to keep, so they log it down and they head for their destination. But the crew of the Archter are diligent. They pass this information on to the Northern Lighthouse Board. Five days later, on the 20th, the Hesperus aims to sail for the Flannan Isles with relief, but is delayed by bad weather. The ship only manages to make it to the island on Boxing Day, the 26th of December, 1900. The Hesperus pulls into the dock on Island Moor and notices several things. Firstly, the flagstaff of the island has no flag. Maybe the keepers took it down? The provision boxes had been left on the landing to be restocked, but none of the lighthouse keepers had come down to greet them. Surely they can't all be busy or asleep? Jim Harvey, captain of the Hesperus, attempts to signal the men with a whistle and with a flare. No dice. So Joseph Moore, the relief keeper, takes a launch and heads to shore, alone. He walks silently up the rocky steps to the lighthouse and knocks. No answer. He climbs the tower and makes some strange discoveries. The entrance gates to the lighthouse compound and the lighthouse proper are both closed. The beds are unmade, the clock is stopped. The three men are nowhere to be seen. Moore goes back to the ship and relays the news, taking several more men with him to investigate further. One of the sets of oil skins, an early form of waterproof clothes, are left. So if all three men went outside, one went without his. But the whole scene seems strangely serene, aside from an unmade bed and the only signs that something might have transpired being one chair knocked over in the kitchen, everything is calm. Harvey telegraphs the lighthouse board that same day. Quote, A dreadful accident has happened at the Flannans. The three keepers, Duckett, Marshall, and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. The clocks were stopped and other signs indicated that the accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane. End quote. But he doesn't know that for certain. The isle is scoured of any trace of the men at all. Nothing turns up. The only other finding is that the island had been damaged by storms, iron railings bent and turf overturned. The story then passes into myth. The locals blame the shipful of ghosts, the so-called Phantom of the Seven Hunters, the Seven Hunters being another name for the Flannan Isles. Some tabloids propose sea monsters, whilst others posit that the men were kidnapped by foreign spies, all with no evidence supporting their positions, and so this leads us to the enduring mystery. What happened to the disappeared keepers of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse? Hello. 
Hello and welcome to Demystified with Ashley Styles. This week we're looking at the Flannan Isles Lighthouse Mystery. This one's pretty self-contained, no need for a complicated rundown. Sometime in mid to late December 1900, the three men manning the Flannan Isles Lighthouse disappeared without a trace. I should clarify some of the more common misconceptions surrounding this mystery. No, there was not still warm food on the table uneaten. The tipped-over chair was the only sign that I could reliably confirm present that any of the men had left in a hurry. This could be the same man that left his oil skin, bear in mind, or maybe not, but that makes the most sense to me. But to tell you this story complete, I'll first tell another story about a different lighthouse, not a mystery, but still a strange chapter of history, the tragedy of the Smalls Lighthouse. Now the Smalls Lighthouse sits on the western coast of South Wales. Today's structure is far different to the one there in 1801, the year this story takes place. Nowadays, it's stone and metal with reinforcements sat atop some basalt rocks. It's also, like all modern British lighthouses, unmanned. The automation of British lighthouses spanned the 1970s to near the present day, but back in the 1800s, the situation was very different to how it was even in the 1900s, and this story tells you why. In those days, the Smalls Lighthouse was a precarious structure indeed, somewhat common for its time, but a wooden box atop stilt-like legs doesn't exactly scream safety to anyone, especially with the wind and waves threatening to blow you down into the sea and rocks with every push. There's a reason that the design was eventually updated, with the lighthouse being rebuilt, and it's not aesthetics. This particular lighthouse has a crew of two, as was standard at the time, Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffith. Now, Howell and Griffith didn't get along. You might think that'd be a deal-breaker for a pair of lighthouse workers, Apparently, though, they were able to put their professional before their personal and make it work. The enmity, however, was well known to everybody who knew both men. One day, Griffith dies in a freak accident. This would be alarming for most people to see their co-worker die tragically, but Howell was alone in dealing with his comrade. To make matters worse, Howell was well aware of the reputation his relationship with Griffith had, and concluded that if he gave Griffith a sea burial, as would be the sensible solution, he'd be suspected of foul play. So Howell decides to build a coffin for Griffith, and lash it to the outside of the lighthouse to keep it away from him. Space is a premium there, after all. But Howell's troubles wouldn't end there. The coffin was smashed by a rogue wave, but Griffith's body tangled up in the ropes, and dangled grotesquely in full view of Howell through the window. Moreover, the wind caused Griffith's decaying hand to beckon to Howell. By the time he was picked up and relieved, his friends said all the same thing. The experience had changed Howell forever. Physically and emotionally, it was hard to recognise the man before them from the man they once knew. But, to his credit, Howell kept the light. That incident is horrifying, but it's why lighthouses in Britain ended up using crews of three to prevent this sort of problem from happening again. If two men had a quarrel, they would be able to put off the other because of the third man, so two quarrelsome men wouldn't need to put themselves through the emotional hell that Howell did for fear of suspicion. More generally, though, it's just safer. If one man is incapacitated or dies, there's not just one man left to tend the light until he's relieved. So we arrive to our crew of three in Flannan Isles. The two main keepers and a replacement keeper, all fully qualified and experienced, just disappear. How could this be? In terms of evidence, we've not much to go off, and plenty to cause suspicion. The lighthouse log was dated up to the 15th of December, thus we assume the tragedy happened on that day. It's stated in the days leading up to that date that there was severe weather, the likes of which some of the keepers hadn't seen before. But that doesn't fully scan. 
Locals said that the lighthouse was visible from some nearby neighbouring islands, nearby being a relative term, of course, and if the weather was that bad, it would have been obscured from view. There was for definite a storm, as indicated by the damage to the islands and of its structures, but that storm happened at least on the night of the 15th and the days after. We could chalk this up to misremembering from the nearby island's inhabitants, we could chalk it up to misreporting or misinterpreting. The one oil skin is a particularly interesting detail. It fully implies that one of the men went outside, in winter, in northern Scotland, in what was supposedly a bad storm, with no protection from the wind or rain. Why would he do that? There's also the matter of the overturned chair. It could have been left carelessly, but I think that's strange. If I had accidentally knocked a chair over in my flat, I can think of maybe three reasons that I wouldn't stop to pick it back up, and those are all emergency reasons. It could, however, be the opposite of what you think. Maybe the first man, for whatever reason, was outside without his oil skin, and the other two donned theirs to go interact with him, or look for him, or help him. This assumption that all three men were outside, however, supposes another element worth questioning. It was fully against Lighthouse Board rules and regulations, standard industry practice, and common sense for all three members of a Lighthouse team to leave the Lighthouse at once. It was the rule that at least one man had to stay in the Lighthouse at all times to keep it manned. Ignoring work regulations in the rules these men would have likely worked with their whole lives, it makes no sense to put all your eggs in one basket like that, even if you didn't need men manning the Lighthouse, which at the time you did, or at least monitoring it. That's why you have multi-person teams. So for some reason, all three men leave the lighthouse. Nobody's wherever found, let alone inside. Against the common practice. Why? It wasn't due to some emergency within the lighthouse. No evidence of that was ever found. So maybe it was due to an emergency outside the lighthouse? The most common theory, that which was concluded by the initial investigation and later investigations, including the official conclusion of the Northern Lighthouse Board, was that the men were all swept into the sea by powerful waves or winds. This answers very little. It explains where they all went, sure, I'd even buy it as a reason that no bodies were ever found, even though they'd probably have washed up at some point, but there's still holes. Like that pertinent question, why were they all outside to be swept away by waves? The initial conclusion was that they were securing a crane or some cargo by the dock in stormy conditions when a large rogue wave swept them all into the sea. But if there was a storm and all three men were outside, why leave the oil skid and knock the chair over? That would suggest that one man left in a hurry, so much of a hurry that he didn't take the time to put on a raincoat or pick up a knocked over chair to get down to his mates. It is plausible that the weather may have been so bad that they'd have all felt the need to go to the dock to secure a crane or something like that, but I don't buy that one of the men in particular would be so motivated that he'd run out like the lighthouse was on fire, which it wasn't. Now it could be that the man who ran off went to help a friend in need. Perhaps the first wave knocked one or two men over the side and the third rushed to help them, only to have the same fate befall him. That makes a little more sense. Then it's just a question of self-preservation versus bravery. Now, Thomas Marshall, one of the three keepers, is interesting because of a previous infraction of his. He'd been fined before, rather heavily in fact, for not storing equipment properly. It had been washed away during a gale. I do have another theory, however, one that's a little more complicated, but bear with me. Supposing the storm starts around late afternoon, early evening. It's plausible then that one of the men goes outside earlier for some other purpose, 
Maybe he's checking something out, doing maintenance, repairing damage from the storm a couple of days ago. He doesn't come back for a while, so the other two men get nervous, and as the weather begins to worsen, they both go out looking for him, because if he's outside in those bad conditions, they need to get him back. Then a rogue wave sweeps those two into the sea. What happened to the first man? I don't know. Maybe he got hit by a wave, maybe he slipped and fell, maybe he had some unfortunate accident. This theory isn't meant to rival the other theory, because they arrive at the same conclusion. It's just me speculating on why the one oil skin wasn't taken, and to me, it might explain it a bit better. If there's a storm already, why leave your oil skin behind? To me, it seems more likely that if it was left, it was because the man it belonged to went out when the weather didn't necessarily warrant it. But what it lacks explaining is why the chair was knocked over, as even if you were going out to look for a friend, you'd take the time to prepare, since the other two put their oil skins on, and that might entail picking a chair back up, which is very easy. We have another debated detail to discuss, the food. Now, the ballad Flannan Isle, written in 1912 by Wilfred Wilson Gibson, described how a full array of food was found, untouched, indicating a suspicious disappearance. But this wasn't the case in reality. The actual finding was, in fact, that all the utensils were clean and put away, which in fact suggested the men disappeared either before or after dinner, but not during. Now, here's a conclusion that we get historically from the Northern Lighthouse Board's Robert Muirhead, who personally knew and recruited all three of the men, and led the official investigation. Quote, From evidence which I was able to procure, I was satisfied that the men had been on duty up till dinner time on Saturday, the 15th of December, that they had gone down to secure a box in which the mooring ropes, landing ropes, etc., were kept, and which was secured in a crevice in the rock about 110 feet, 34 meters, above sea level, and that an extra large sea had rushed up the face of the rock, had gone above them, and, coming down with immense force, had swept them completely away. End quote. Fairly simple front to back. From the clothing found, Muirhead concluded that the man who left the oil skin was the occasional Donald MacArthur, and that James Duckett and Thomas Marshall had gone before him, likely, down to the western landing stage. Why MacArthur would have left without his oil skin in what must have been rain, still unanswered. The official report does also very clearly specify that whoever actually left the lighthouse last, be it MacArthur or one of the others, was the one who was in breach of the NLB rules stating that one man must be manning the lighthouse at all times of a team of three. Taking into account the previous history of Marshall, we can sketch this out. Marshall forgets to tie down some gear at the western landing and takes Duckett with him to secure it. If there's a serious wave coming for them, they don't see it. And MacArthur realises this, so he runs out to warn them, but it's too late. They're swept away, and another wave sends MacArthur to a similar fate. But this leaves the question of the doors and the gates unanswered. If MacArthur rushed to warn his fellows so quickly that he knocked a chair over and forgot his coat and oilskin, why bother closing the door to the lighthouse and the gate to the compound? Now, to be honest, I don't see any alternating theories to this, however. I could posit some. It could be that something macabre did happen, an altercation between the men most foul. But there was no evidence for that. No blood, no bodies, no sign of struggle, no sign of conflict. If there was a more sinister reason for the men's disappearances, I couldn't justify claiming it. Some have claimed, based on evidence that I couldn't fully verify, that MacArthur was a man prone to emotional volatility, and that he'd been recorded in one of the log entries in the days prior as having cried for some unspecified reason. The suggestion then is that he started a fight down by the landing stage that caused all three to fall into the sea and drown. 
Or maybe one man murdered the other two and then drowned himself after tossing their bodies. For me though, that's too many leaps of logic. We can't even establish one murder took place, let alone two murders and a suicide. Some of the time did speculate that the man could have been kidnapped by foreign agents. But this begs the question as to why? To damage British shipping by jeopardising a lighthouse? That could make sense, but seems weird given the lighthouse fault was reported about the same day the men went missing. There's more important people to make disappear than three lighthouse keepers off the north coast of Scotland anyway. Why not kidnap someone tending a lighthouse in, say, the English Channel, one of the busiest shipping routes in the world then and now? There's also the potential supernatural explanations. These have predictably been referenced in plenty of examples of fiction, from novels to TVs to movies, including a recent one that I've yet to see. Flannan Isles has inspired countless tales of horror or mystery revolving around lighthouses, and indeed actually has cast a strange and sinister shadow over the whole profession of lighthouse keeping for quite some time after the fact. But I can't seriously offer these as a full explanation because they ask too many questions of their own. So let's say a sea monster did eat the men. Okay, so now sea monsters exist? And if it was a ghost ship with a deadly crew full of vengeful sea spirits, so that then exists also. Can ghosts manhandle lighthouse keepers, or did they have to use siren songs to lure the men to their deaths? Alien abduction is one that pops up, not as much as the others and not as much in cases of ghost ships. Maybe aliens just aren't as keen on lighthouses. So, what happened to the keepers of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse? My best guess? Swept into the sea by the waves. I know that's not super satisfying to hear, and we don't have a record as to whether the families those men left behind considered it a satisfying explanation, but it's the only one we can really evidence. It explains why no bodies were found, why no signs of struggle or emergency were left, and why one man may have left in a hurry without his gear and countless other factors. It doesn't explain everything. Why leave your coat but close the doors? Why break convention and rules and leave the lighthouse unattended? But as we stated above, I think enough bases are covered by this theory to satisfy most people's curiosity. It is, and I hope I'm using the term correctly, somewhat ironic that the very reason the lighthouse had three keepers, to prevent a tragedy wherein all men were lost at once, ended up being why this mystery was a mystery in the first place, because all the men were lost at once. After the tragedy at the Smalls Lighthouse, the team size was upped from two to three, but this measure seemed to not do much good to the men on island more. For the other theories, I can't say much. My personal guess was that the one man being down first and the others going out to him does explain some things. Maybe the first man rushes down to the docks, forgetful as he may be and doesn't take his coat. The other two then don theirs to join him, taking the time to close the doors. This explains pretty much everything, as far as I can tell, why one coat may have been left but the other two were taken, why the doors were closed despite the things having been left, but really it's your choice as to which of the two theories you like better, because again the conclusion is the same, all the men get swept into the sea and they all drown and they're not discovered. You know, it's dealer's choice. Is there a lesson to learn to this story? If there is, it might be something along the lines of Occam's Razor, that philosophical maxim stating, the simplest explanation is the best explanation. Now, take it with a grain of salt. If we use that all the time, we'd not solve many a mystery because oftentimes the simple explanation is wrong. At the same time, though, sometimes we can overcomplicate things, looking for answers that don't exist to questions that didn't need to be asked. 
For instance, I could have made a much bigger meal about why one man decided to go against the policy of keeping the lighthouse manned. But as I mentioned in the Mary Celeste story when we first started this out, sometimes people make mistakes, or choose things that don't fully make sense. If the one man was rushing out to warn the others that of course he'd contravene industry standard because he believed genuinely, and apparently correctly, that his two colleagues' lives were on the line. The debate over the leftover oil skin in the chair is one more of timing. If you have time to close the doors, why leave the items? If you don't have time, why bother closing the doors? But even then, irrational behaviour could explain it, if in a very unsatisfactory manner. I don't think we'll ever get a satisfactory conclusion to the story of Flannan Isles, because even if we have uncovered the truth of the story, it isn't very satisfying. And I think that speaks to the human desire for narrative in all things. Narratives make us feel like life has an inherent meaning. If we don't have it, then events that are tragic can seem pointless, and this makes us upset. Especially for the families of people lost to pointless accidents or bad luck, it seems almost certain that the men were swept into the sea by a rogue wave, but this would mean they died for no reason whatsoever. Which happens, by the way, like all of the time, most people that die, die for no reason. So people concoct these lurid stories of espionage or murder or sea monsters because they'd like there to be a reason as to why the mystery happened, a real harder crux of it. And sometimes there is a reason for it, as we've seen with some of our stories and we will see in future ones. But sometimes there isn't, and it's important to accept that sometimes the simple explanation is in fact the real one. If you don't accept that, you'll spend your whole life ignoring simple truths because you're desperately looking for a more complicated truth which just isn't there. To put it in terms of Scooby-Doo, the real OG mystery solvers, you might spend ages stretching out an old man's face, convinced it's a mask, when in fact it's just rubbery skin. Weird analogy, but that's the basic gist. But hey, lighthouses these days are now all automated, so... I doubt we'll ever see again, at least in this country, another mystery quite like the Flannan Isles Lighthouse. You've been listening to Demystified with Ashley Styles. This episode was written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, with hosting from Wizard Studios. Music from ProductionCrate.com. Go to ProductionCrate.com for all of your royalty-free music needs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listener, do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.